Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. It's Friend Day, and our big idea is the greatest story is truly great for me. We're going to spend some time looking at what Jesus has to offer for each and every one of us. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. I love that clip. It's just funny and brimming with sarcasm. It asks some great questions, though and presents a very unique thought. And that thought is, being part of something, being part of a community or being part of a story is actually something that's good for us. I'd like to talk to you today about a story. And I really believe it is the greatest story ever told, the greatest story ever shared, and it involves all of us. Here's our big idea, or this is what I want to spend our time unpacking, and that is the greatest story is truly great for me. I want you to personalize that. So the greatest story is truly great for you. It's great for all of us. I think one of the great benefits of living in this particular area is that it is rich with story. There are events that have happened right here that are now repeated folklore. There are people that roamed these parts that are very famous and very memorable. Stories right here. Stories that make you think. Stories that connect. Stories that make you kind of proud. Stories that put a smile on your face. Stories right here. And these stories are widely known. Let's think about a few stories for a moment. What about the story of William Penn, an individual who experienced religious persecution, and so he established the colony of Pennsylvania where people would be able to worship freely, which is actually what we're doing right now. What about the story of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and the birth of this great nation right here? What about the story of the bustling new city of Philadelphia that grew as the nation grew and became a leader in commerce and business and banking? What about the story of Vince Papali? Now, I know I skipped a lot of years in there, but fly, eagles, fly, right? Yeah. What about the story of a snowball and a tipsy Santa? Hmm? What about the story of Rocky? See, these stories are all amazing, and they're part of what happened right here. This past summer, I had the privilege of introducing the Rocky movies to my eight-year-old son, Caden. And we watched all of the movies, and he absolutely loved it. And it was so fun sitting with him, watching his big eyes just take in all of the different scenes, and then the questions that would follow. And we watched the movies, and then we watched them again, and then we watched them again. Finally, the other kids in the house were like, can we watch anything else besides Rocky? Like, no, this is the summer of Rocky. This is what we're going to enjoy. And we had a great time. We even got a pair of boxing gloves for Caden. And he put them on and practiced a bit and walked around the house. It was just really kind of a fun thing to watch and to know that that stuff happened right here. 
One day I happened to be at home and I looked out and there were about four or five kids, Caden's age, in a neighbor's driveway. And they were boxing. They all had gloves on and they would wear the gloves and, and punch for a little bit and then they'd take the gloves off and give it to the next kid and, and then they would box for a bit and then they'd take the gloves off and pass it on. And this went on for about 20 or 30 minutes. And I thought, how Philadelphia is this? Rocky would be so proud. I'm like leaning out of the house to get pictures of this because it was just amazing to me. Well, as I watched what was happening, you could tell that after about 20 minutes, the intensity began to pick up in the punching. And I knew somebody was going to get hurt. Somebody's going to go down. And should I go out and stop this? And I thought, no, this is just too fun to watch. So let's just see what develops and what happens here. So it's Caden's turn. Caden puts the gloves on, and he begins to box, and he took a shot to the head that dropped him. And I could tell that he was on the ground, and he was sniffling and trying to hold it all in so that his friends wouldn't see him cry. And, of course, they knew that he was hurt, and so they did what eight-year-old boys do in that moment. They scattered. They ran and left Caden all on his own. So I'm thinking, should I go out and help him, or do I wait? Do I see what happens? And so I watched from the house as Caden kind of stood up, took the gloves off, and put them under his arm. And then with sniffles, he began to make his way home. It was really a pitiful sight. He got to the door, and I didn't want him to know that I had seen what was going on. And so he opened the door. I'm like, hey, Caden, how are you doing? And I could tell he was hurt and upset and sniffling. And again, he's trying not to cry. He's holding it together. He's trying to be a tough little eight-year-old boy. And uh, I made sure he was okay and healthy for his mom's sake. (laughs) And then I looked at him and said, Caden, next time you got to protect your face. Jab and bounce, jab and bounce. And I have no idea if that's even a boxing term, but that's what I told him. And we laughed and we had a great time and a great moment as a father and son. And that's a story that I think I'm going to remember for a long time. See, stories are great. We enjoy them. But there is a story that is even greater and stronger and more memorable. And it's a story that involves you. It's a story that involves us. So, it's story time. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to zero in on two particular verses, verses 16 and 17, and you'll see them on the screen in just a moment. Before we get there, though, I want to think about what's happening in verses 1 through 15, because that kind of sets up this greatest story ever told. There are four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels about 30 years after Jesus was resurrected. John wrote his Gospel about 60 years after Jesus was resurrected. And he wrote his Gospel as an answer to a lot of the questions that were happening in the day. And people had kind of lost sight of some of the things that Jesus had said and what he had done. It had been several years since he was here on earth, and people were beginning to question, did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really do that? Did Jesus really mean that? And John is taking all of this in, and I think he finally raised his hand and said, wait a minute, wait. I was there. 
Like I was an eyewitness to all of this stuff. I ate with Jesus and I traveled with him and I heard what he said and I observed with my own eyes what he actually did. And so he wrote his gospel as a response to the different questions that were happening in the day. And one of the things that really falls out of this gospel is compassion. Compassion. One of the things we understand about Jesus is that he was just an incredibly compassionate person. And we see this come out in how he converses with people. And we'll see that in our story today. So scripture tells us that one day, again, all of this is in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So one day, Jesus is talking and teaching and a guy comes up to him by the name of Nicodemus. Kind of a strange name, but that's his name. And what we discover in John chapter 3 that unloads the greatest story ever told is that there are some unique things that we need to know and understand about Nicodemus that make this story just kind of come to life. So a few thoughts. First of all, Nicodemus was a member of a religious group called the Pharisees. And that word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word that means separated ones. And that's what they were. They were kind of religious Elite, spiritual people. And they kind of thought of themselves as just a little bit better than everybody else. And Nicodemus is in this group. He is a Pharisee. He is a separated one. He's a religious, spiritual, elite kind of individual. We also know this about Nicodemus, and that is he is a ruler, meaning he has power. So because he was part of this religious elite group, he had a lot of training in his day, and he would have had more education than just about everybody else, and that education gave him power, and that power is what made him a ruler. He was a very respected individual. People were scared of him. So as Nicodemus walked around, people would say, well, back up, back up, there's Nick. And then he would say, that's Nicodemus to you. Right, yes, yes, sir, Nicodemus. And that's just the type of guy that he was. He was a ruler. He was a spiritual elite individual. People didn't really mess with him because they would get in trouble. What happens in the text is something that is kind of unique because Nicodemus now does something that is strange or perhaps he's just being smart. And here's what else we know about Nicodemus. And that is, he comes to Jesus at night. And that's an observation in John chapter 3, the greatest story ever shared. Is that this trained, smart individual who is powerful, he is a ruler, people respect him and get out of his way. He comes to have this conversation with Jesus at night. It's an interesting observation. Perhaps he came to Jesus at night because he, being a religious elite person was speaking to what was considered in the day a religious rebel. That's what Jesus was thought of. That's what he was considered. And so the religious elite really didn't hang out or associate with the rebels. That would be a bad thing. And if people saw that, if people knew that about him, wow, he might lose some of his power and his ability to rule. So perhaps he came to Jesus at night so nobody would see him. But Nicodemus was interested There was something attractive about Jesus, and he wanted to talk to him. He wanted to have this conversation, and so he comes. 
Maybe he came to Jesus at night because that was just the best time to find Jesus, right? Nicodemus had a day job. He had stuff to do, and Jesus was doing his stuff, and maybe that was just the best time. Here's the reality. Who cares, right? The fact is he came to Jesus, and what's interesting about John chapter 3, and one of the things that we discover is that Jesus had time for a skeptic. Jesus had time for somebody who brought a lot of questions. And then Nicodemus does something else that's very interesting. He begins to talk to Jesus. Hey, I know about you. I have observed some things about you. I have heard about you. Jesus, you are interesting to me. There is something about you that I just have to know about. See, Jesus, or Nicodemus, knew about Jesus, but he really didn't know Jesus. He was a fan, but he wasn't a follower, and there is a difference between the two, and Jesus, in this relational conversation, begins to push on that just a little bit, and in doing that, he rolls out the greatest story. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered about God? What is God like? What does God do? Why did God do that over there? Or why didn't God do something over there with that? Who is God? What is he like? And what does he do? Have you ever had those kinds of questions? The very questions that Nicodemus had. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus begins to answer them. And he shares the greatest story. Now, if you're here and you know this story... I want to encourage you just to relax and take it all in because it is truly a beautiful story. If you're here and you don't know anything about this story, I would encourage you to lean in a little bit because this story is for you. God did all of this for you. He has relationally engaged with you and for you. And so lean in a little bit and contemplate these words. Maybe you're here and you don't care about God at all. I want to say to you, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to know this is a safe place for you to ask those questions and a safe place for you to be. Maybe somebody drug you through the door, dragging uh, or screaming and crying, and you just want to get out of here and get that free gift and go back home, right? I get it. I'm just going to be a few more minutes. And so I just encourage you, maybe listen, because perhaps there's something that will interest you. So here it is, the greatest story. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he delivers a cogent explanation as to why I am here and what I am doing. So John chapter 3, verse 16, it begins this way. For, for, (laughs) for, that's a great word, isn't it? And I want to pause on that word and kind of explain that. And I know some of you are thinking, boy, if he pauses on every word, we're going to be here a really long time. So I I promise not to do that, but this word is just too good to pass up. So four, it's a connecting word. And it connects what is about to happen in verses 16 and 17, where Jesus talks about the greatest story, with everything that has happened prior to that. Well, what's happened prior to verse 16? Well, it's Jesus having the conversation with Nicodemus. 
and Nicodemus is a skeptic. He's asking questions. He's interested, but he's just not so sure. And so Jesus talks to him, and now he connects that whole conversation with what he's about to say with the word for. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Powerful words here for us, for me, for you. And you can kind of insert your own name right here into this whole story, into this whole conversation. For this is how God loved. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, and the idea of that word believe is to trust or to put faith in. It's not just enough to know about. This is like a whole new step here. It's putting faith in him. They will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save And that word means to deliver or to rescue. Let me ask, have you ever needed to be delivered from something? Just think about yourself right now. Have you ever needed to be rescued from something? Well, guess what? God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to deliver, to rescue the world through him. And these are some of the most recognizable words in all of the world, and they share, they unpack for us the greatest story. And it's not complicated because Jesus wasn't a complicated individual. One of the things I love about verses 16 and 17 is that there are four words that I think just come right out of these verses that tell us the whole story. And so I want to take verses 16 and 17 and just kind of break it down into four words for you. And I would encourage you to write these words down in your program. I think they will help you understand the greatest story. And what we have to remind ourselves about the greatest story is that it's for me. We have to personalize that. So keep throwing your name in there because God did all of this for us, for me, and for you. And so Here are the four words that just naturally fall out of the greatest story. Love, gave, believe. You love those squeaks, don't you? And the last word is have. Greatest story. Love. Gave, believe, and have. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, all right, you've been asking a lot of questions. You are curious. You are interested. You're obviously here. You are a smart individual. You are trained. Nicodemus, let me just break it down for you and make it very simple. Love, gave, believe, have. And this is the greatest story that Jesus also shares with all of us. See, think about this. God had so much love for all of us. Just an incredible amount of love. I think sometimes we forget about the fact that God is a loving God. Often we think of him as a judgmental God or an angry God or an old man sitting in the sky just frowning and scowling at people. But when you walk through the Gospels, you understand 
that God has a tremendous amount of love for his creation. And God loved us so much that it helped him to move into action. And he got really generous for all of us. And he gave. So God loved, and he loved us so much that he became generous, and he gave. He gave his one and only son. He only had one. And he gave him up, and Jesus came, and he lived, and he died on our behalf, paying the price for our sins. So that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, without adding anything to that, guess what? They're going to have eternal life. They're going to have a forever friendship with God. A greatest story right here. Love, gave, believe, and have. God loved us so much that he got really generous and he gave his one and only son. If we believe in him without adding anything to that, we will have a forever friendship with God and the promise of a home in heaven. And this is what Jesus shared with Nicodemus. And I think it blew his mind. Like he didn't have a shelf or a box to put that in because he was trying to do a bunch of stuff in order to put a smile on the face of God and be approved by God. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, listen, here's the deal. You can't do enough. It's about what I have already done for you. And now, Nicodemus, I want you to do something very basic, very simple, And Nicodemus wasn't a basic guy, he wasn't a simple guy, but Jesus broke it down for him and said, I want you to simply trust. And so Jesus said, love, gave, believe, here's what you get to have, Nicodemus. Is that what you want? By the way, this is the same thing that Jesus says to all of us. And this is the same thing that Jesus extends to each and every one of us. As I walked through John chapter 3 and the greatest story, the question that kind of popped out to me is, what happens to Nicodemus? So he's this smart, trained guy. He's a ruler. He has power. He comes to Jesus at night. He begins to ask a bunch of questions. Does he believe? Does he trust in Jesus? What happens to Nicodemus? Well, he's not mentioned again until John chapter 7, but It's there that he's showing a little more courage as he's kind of defending Jesus in a public way, something that he had not done before. And they were putting Jesus on trial and accusing him of something, and Nicodemus said, hey, we've got to do this the right way if we're going to do it. So he kind of stood up for Jesus and defended him. The last time we hear about Nicodemus is John chapter 19, where he is said to have brought a lavish gift of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. That's all we know about him. So ultimately, we don't know if he ever believed. We don't know if he trusted. The same thing doesn't have to be said of you. And so I want to share two very simple takeaways that I think are for all of us as we think about engaging with this greatest story that has ever been told. Here's takeaway number one. Jesus has time for you. He does, and I think that's a remarkable thing that comes out of this story, is that Jesus has time for all of us, no matter how we feel about him. Nicodemus was curious, but he really wasn't a true follower of Jesus. He really hadn't believed, at least at this point, and Jesus still gave him a lot of time. 
And I want you to know today, if you've never heard this before and you're struggling with something and you're walking through a storm and the pressure is on and you're frustrated and mad and angry, that Jesus has time for you. And all of the anger, all of the frustrations, all of the questions, all of the doubts, you can take all of that and give it to Jesus. And he has time for you. Often what happens is when we doubt and when we get frustrated and when we're angry or we sense that God has been unfair for whatever reason, we run and we push away and we hide from him. And Jesus actually invites us to do the opposite, just bring all of that anger and all of those doubts and all those questions because Jesus has time for us. And that's really good news. It's good news. The second takeaway is this. Jesus asks you to trust. Will you? It's what he asked Nicodemus to do, and he's asking all of us the same. Love, gave, believe, trust, have faith in. It's what Jesus asked Nicodemus, and he's asking us the same thing. So, will you? If you've never done that, will you turn over control of your life to him? You can do that and be a part of the greatest story ever told. If that's something that you have done, like, you know, I've trusted in Jesus, I believe in him, I've handed over control of my life to him, but yet you feel that your life has taken a detour, then I want to encourage you to take all of that to Jesus because he still has time for you. And again, that's a wonderful thing for us to remind ourselves of occasionally because often we find ourselves running away. And if that's you, you've trusted, but yet you're a ways away from him, then run back, run back because Jesus has time for you. But if you've never taken that step, well, today is an opportunity to make the greatest story ever told not only just somebody else's story, but to make it your story. The greatest story ever told? Yeah, I think so. Because it is just a lavish display of God's compassion for all of us. Father, we're so thankful for just a few minutes to look at this great story in John chapter 3. God, I believe it's the greatest story. Nothing beats this. There's a lot of other fun things to talk about, but this is truly a great, great story because it unpacks for us how much you loved us and how you got generous for us and you gave. And if we believe in your work, then we can have the gift of Jesus, a friend that will never leave us. And so, God, I just pray that wherever everybody is in the room right now, that you'd help us to just think about how we can personalize this. Because, God, the greatest story can be truly great for me, for us. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. As you're thinking about this, maybe some lights are coming on for you and you're sensing, you know what, that's really intriguing. And I don't know if I've ever understood God that way in what he's offered and what he's done for me. And it's just starting to make sense. And you're ready to embrace that. You're ready to trust in Jesus 
alone to say that, understanding that you can't stack up enough good stuff to reach God because he's perfect and we're not. And you get that. And so you're ready to have that forever friendship with him. That I would just encourage you from your heart to God's ears in the quietness of this hour, just talk to him. Pray to him. That's all that prayer is. It's just talking with God like what we would talk. And maybe say this to him. God, I know that I've messed up my life. I know I'm not perfect. I know it. God already knows that about us. But he loves to hear that from from us. Just admit that and and say, God, I'm, I'm understanding maybe for the first time that you put a plan together to rescue me. And right now I want to trust in Jesus alone to save me. I believe in him. I want to have faith in him and I'm turning over control of my life to him. That's what I want. God, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for making it possible for me to know you. I'm thankful for your great gift. You know, there's only two things you can do with a gift. You can open it up and enjoy it or you can kind of push it away and say it's not for you. God offers this gift and if you've never trusted in him alone before, I'd encourage you to reach out right now. Tell him you're trusting in his work on your behalf and you want to become a part of this greatest story. Let's say to you, if that's something that you've done for the very first time, I think it's the greatest choice, the greatest decision you'll ever make in life because it ensures you of a forever friendship with God, someone who will never leave you, and someone who will walk through all of the storms of life, as well as all of the successes. He's there. He promises to never leave us. Maybe you're here and that's something that you've done before. You just sense it's been a long time since you've gotten really serious and focused on your friendship with God, and you've kind of put him in the back seat, so to speak, or maybe even out of the car. Maybe it's time just to kind of rearrange seats a little bit and put God back where he belongs, controlling and running your life. And maybe you just want to take a few minutes and make sure that's happening for you. I want to encourage you, if you've trusted in Jesus alone for the first time, that's something you need to share with somebody. Maybe it's the person that invited you or just someone that's a friend to let them know, hey, I'm now a part of the greatest story. That'll be a great thing. So God, we're thankful for today, this Sunday morning where we come and we listen and we worship and we just pause the busyness of our lives to consider what you want to say to us. God, I pray that you help us all to leave challenged. And so grateful, so, so thankful for what you have done for us out of your love. God, help us to remember that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.